I just realized I don't have a reader this morning, so I'm also your reader. <laughs> um, we're going to turn to Matthew 6, uh, verses 25 through 34, which is on page 787 in your Red Bibles. I'll give you a minute. 787. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God uh, so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks to God. So, we are on our last part of our Lenten series, um, which is worry. Just like, uh, okay, <laughs> you ever um, feel like you're supposed to talk about something that you really don't have a handle on in your life? <laughs> <laughs> that would be me uh, with this. Um, I would say that of the ones that I've covered, worry is probably the thing that I struggle with the most. And if I remember right, the, um, when we did, you know, what was impeding you from your relationship with God, I feel like some of the most hands kind of shot up around worry and anxiety. Um, and so what was really interesting for me as I was reading through scripture and just kind of studying the concept of worry and anxiety, because really in, in the biblical text, it's interchangeable, right? So worry and anxiety are two things that kind of overlap with one another, okay? Um, I was shocked. I mean, let's, can we just be honest with each other for a second in terms of confession? How many of you struggle with worry and anxiety? Would you mind raising your hand? <laughs> right. So you would think, and, and it's, let's just add, it's not infrequently, right? It's probably a lot. If you're, I mean, this is honestly the, the fastest I've seen you all raise your hands when I ask you. <laughs> so chances are you probably struggle with it as frequently as I do. So my assumption in that would be, the scripture would probably say a lot about it, right? I was shocked to find that there's very little in scripture about it. Like, of all the things, I'm like, fear and all the, I mean, it's just like a treasure trove of verses. But when it comes to worry or anxiety compared to other ones, it's just, there's no comparison. It's like a few. I'm like searching through all my resources, all my encyclopedias, and there's nothing, nothing, nothing. I went through seven different encyclopedias and found three with definitions. That never happens. I mean, it, you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, internally, what's, what's going on? Maybe there's something to this. So um, first, I wanted to provide you just a, a regular English dictionary version, because there wasn't really an interesting one 
within the biblical encyclopedias that I was looking at. So the first one, because again, worry and anxiety are kind of uh, interchangeable, I'm gonna do worry and anxious, okay? So worry, uh, this is from the concise Oxford English Dictionary, it says worry, uh, it's a feel or cause to feel troubled over actual or potential difficulties. Accurate? Yeah. Okay, the next one is um, anxiety. I want to actually, oh, you know I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to words. <laughs> you know that, if we go back for a second, Tom. Originally, in like the 17th century, the word worry meant choking. It was choking on food. And then over time, like the etymology, the language changed, and it wasn't, there was like, actually it was earlier, it was, uh, I'm sorry, the 14th century, and then it kind of morphed over time to 17th century, and then it wasn't until the 19th century that we started using worry as we use it today. But I just thought, like, do you ever have that worry in your life where you feel kind of like you're choking on something? Yes. Right? Like, isn't that apropos? Like, that, that hits the nail on the head, I felt like. Anyway, uh, anxiety or anxious, that feeling of anxiety. Um, is experiencing worry, nervousness, or unease. This one was the, the second one was something that really hit me. Uh, ver very eager and concerned to do something or for something to happen. So like worry, there's something that's, that's going on internally, but I think there's also something about anxiety which kind of compels us to want to do something, right? Like how can I change this? How can I fix this, right? Call it, not necessarily that the situation is calling me to action, but my, anxi my anxiety wants relief. And so I'm gonna try and do something in order to get that relief. Can you relate to these definitions? Okay. So my first question for you that I want you to ponder, and this is, I just, whenever I don't have resources that kind of say, hey, look here, look here, I keep it really simple. God's character and Jesus, right? Like, so that's all we're gonna look at today is God's character in Jesus. And I'm gonna point out some things in scripture so as you're processing what worry and anxiety looks like in your life, maybe it's not so much that God's condemning us for our worry and anxiety, but it's more like he's showing us who he is in our worry and anxiety. That's kind of my hope this morning for us is that we would see who God is. So my first question is, is God a God of worry and anxiety? So think about that and then talk about that. Is God, I mean, it should be a short conversation potentially, but is God, a God of worry and anxiety. You can click it over, Tom. There's only one right answer. <laughs> Is God a God of worry and anxiety? <laughs> Get out a spreadsheet for it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> probably didn't help when I said there's only one right answer. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Is God a God of worry and anxiety? Yeah. Interesting. So we're kind of talking about like God's providence and His sovereignty is that He can see. So why worry? Interesting. I mean, basically I heard the kind of the emphatic no, right? Like the declarative, no, he's not worried. But have you ever pondered, pondered that in your worry? That what you're worried about, God's not worried about? Isn't that weird <laughs> to think about? Like what you're worried about today, 
God's not worried about it. That's why, that's why we ask for help. Right. Right, because we're drawing from something that's not in ourselves. But I think it's even those simple acts of saying, God, you're not worried about this, are you? Um, easier said than done, right? But I wanted to show you something interesting. I was reading in a book this week for one of my, my uh, classes, and it, it's a book about power. But um, he was talking about basically God not being worried and how we can even see that in the way that he creates. So I thought I would just point it out to you. Again, this is not my original thought. It's by, by an author, a journalist named Andy Crouch, and it was just, the book is called Playing God. If you ever wanted to read something really compelling and good, suggest it, very good. But anyway, um, if you turn on page one of your Bibles, and if you go... To chapter 1, verse 20. Would anybody be willing to just read that out loud instead of me? Uh, chapter 1, verse 20. Yeah. Paula, you have a nice loud voice. Yes, you do. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. I'm going to read verse 21. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind, and God saw that it was good. I had never noticed until good old Andy Crouch pointed this out to me. Um, when you create something that you have power over, do you do it just kind of like frivolously or are you kind of like a perfectionist with it? Like you want it to be right, right? I mean, is that just me? Guilty, yeah. When I'm drawing, it's got to be, I'm like, oh, no, that's not right, and I erase it. But notice how God creates. This is the start of everything. Does it say, let the waters bring forth like a few of the living creatures and let birds fly above the... What, what's the word that's being used here? Swarms. Swarms. Have you ever been in a swarm before? Yeah. It's completely disorganized, at least from our perception, isn't it? Like if you look, uh, you know, you watch the nature shows and stuff like that, and you see the fish, and there's just these swarms of fish. And you're like, I mean, there's a sense of order in that, isn't there? But it's just overwhelming. And the thing that really struck me about God even creating is rather than him creating out of worry, like it needs to be perfectly ordered, he just said life, and it was swarming. The other word that's used is teeming. I picture when I hear the word teeming, I just picture a cup that's overflowing, right? At it, like <coughs> if you pour it in, it's just going to keep on going because it's all about flourishing. His goal isn't to be worried. What is his goal? Right, to flourish. Um, another example of God, I think, not being worried just even in creation is if you turn the page and you go to chapter 3, verse 8. Now, there's some context that I want to bring in this because depending on the translation that you have in your hand, uh, verse 8 reads a little bit differently. But the concept here, the idea here, is that we can understand that when God walked with, an, with Adam and Eve, it was at a specific time of the day, the cool of the day. Okay, 
Um, so I'm just going to read the verse, and then I want to talk about it a little bit. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So let's, let's go through this for a minute. Um, in the garden, was there like some, some fruit that they could eat and some fruit that they couldn't eat? Right? And as a father, I'm abundantly aware of the things that my kids should and shouldn't be doing or touching and shouldn't be touching, right? And what do we generally do? Like, it's all over my house, for example. Our, you, I don't want you to touch the TV, baby gate. Right? I don't want you to go upstairs, baby gate. I don't want you to touch the sharp knives, lock on the, right? But here is God in the flourishing garden, swarming and teeming with life. And he says, you see that tree over there? Don't mess with it. And does he put angels with flaming swords around it? Does he put baby gates around it? What does he do? He just lets it be. I have a Beatles song in here. Beatles. Um, and furthermore, he's not like just like parents would do with little kids because this is a new creation. This is the first time. When I'm with my kids, especially when they're walking, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm surveying all the different risks that they're going to bust their head and crack their skull open and skin their knee. But God, he just lets them wander in the garden. Does that sound like a God that's worried? I mean, it's like the opposite of us, right? There's so much risk in the garden, but he lets them roam. Why? Because that's a reflection of flourishing. It's a reflection of trust. He says, this is a reciprocated relationship. I trust you, you trust me. So walk in the garden. And hey, at this specific time in the cool of the day, and I love that it's in the cool of the day because it's refreshing, we'll walk together. They had a, a schedule. So when I ponder, is God a God of worry and anxiety? I mean, at least we can see throughout creation that he's not a God of worry and anxiety. And there's several examples, I think, throughout Scripture where he laments, for example, Israel's decisions against him. But he's not like, oh, I'm really worried that you're going to do this. He's, he's just God. And so like what you said, Miguel, is that's immediately a place that we can look to and say, there's something different about you, God, compared to how I process things. Um, so the next question I have, because, you know, this is this big picture of God, but Jesus became human, right? Like, he came to earth. He was born in the flesh. Did Jesus live a life of worry and anxiety? I think that's a trickier question. So think about that and then talk about it. Did Jesus live a life of worry and anxiety? You could talk. Ponder.
What do you all think? Did Jesus live a life of worry and anxiety? No. Well, yes, I think he did. You think he did? Did you did you hear what Tom said? That in Gethsemane he was in Tom's reading perception, he was worried. God, if it's your will, take your cup from me. Anxiety. I don't want to die. Wept over Jerusalem. I think it's more at that moment, maybe more the anxiety side of worry. He knows it's going to happen, mm. but he's got human emotions that also cause him to be anxious. But then I think in Matthew 112, as a child, and understanding the rest of the temple, he just didn't have care in the world and worried that anybody would look into his mouth as a 12 year old. That's just a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, it's a really interesting question. And I'm not sure that it's, it's even meant to be answered <coughs> in the way that we would answer it. Because even by me asking this question, it's like, so if Jesus was worried and anxious, does that suddenly mean my worry and anxiety is OK? Yeah. May, I mean, potentially, if you think so, yeah. So you think worry and anxiety is detrimental to our health? I'm worried that God's not worried about me. I'm worried. I'm worried that God's not worried. I think that's a realistic thing that people struggle with. Do you love me? Uh, let's just look at something, for example. Here's another question I have for you. Um, who did Jesus choose to surround himself uh, as his disciples? Like, who were the people? Okay, ordinary, regular people. Fishermen, but but uh, you're simplifying. Who else were some of the people that he we'll tax collectors, right? Like he didn't necessarily pick just like Joe Schmo off the street. That's everybody like, oh hey Joe, I love you, right? He had prostitutes come to him all the time. He had the people that the religious Pharisees and Sadducees looked at, and they were like, how dare you? Surround yourself with this kind of thing. Does that reflect worry and anxiety? You, you would think if, I mean, general, like this is a general principle. If you're worried and anxious, are you going to draw attention to yourself? No. I mean, at least I wouldn't. I don't want to oversimplify this, but it's really interesting to process. Who are the people that Jesus surrounded himself with? And was he concerned about that? Because this, this text in Matthew is him addressing those people that he's called to him. Um, here's another question. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about this week. At what pace did Jesus live his life? At what pace did Jesus live his life? He was always ready to move. Okay, always ready to move? Someone came up and needed something. Okay. See, see... The reason why I ask this question is a lot of times I think pace has to do with my worry and anxiety. I don't want to, kind of that anxiety, I want to rush things, I want something to happen. But what pace did Jesus live his life? That's a weird question, judging by the looks on your faces. Um, if you want to go to the grocery store, how far away is it from your house, just roughly? Yeah, and how do you get there? 
If you want to go to a different state, what can you do? Right? But how did Jesus travel? Best case scenario was a donkey and a boat. Otherwise, he was walking everywhere. Uh, I don't imagine, I picture the speed walkers, you know, for the Olympics. I don't, I don't picture Jesus speed walking, right? I picture Jesus not at a frenetic pace. How do you picture Jesus and his pace as he's journeying? Casual. Peaceful. Isn't that interesting? Like even the way that culture and society um, pushes us to be in worry and anxiety, to be frenetic. And what we see is with Jesus is that he's not only does he just walking, being Jesus, right? Is that you can also see he goes away from culture and society into desolate places. Why? Why would he do that? I mean, he's already living at such a slow pace as it is. I mean, like, he can only go as far as his feet will take him for that day, and then it's the next day as far as his feet will take him. But you see him pull away, even from that, and sit in quietness. Why would he do that? Okay. Okay, to be able to think. I, I, we can get even more specific than that. Why would Jesus pull away? Huh? To be with God. To be with who? His Father. I mean, I know this is kind of like simplified stuff, right? But stuff that when I'm in my worry and anxiety, it's the last thing I'm thinking about. I'm like, okay, I need to get to Florida stat. What's the quickest way? Can I hire a jet? You know? And Jesus is like, I'll get there. There was a pastor um, in the jungle in Peru, and I maybe have told this story before, but the thing that struck me, uh, and I, I've seen it, Papa Jaime, I've seen it, is his slow pace. And in that slow pace, not only can he enjoy what's around him, but he can enjoy the people that are with him. And suddenly, he's less consumed with what's going on here because he's more consumed with what's going on around him and the people that are around him. There's something about that slowness of pace. But again, Jesus even pulled away and stopped. But it was for a purpose. It wasn't to figure things out like we do. Like a lot of times in my worry, I'm like, okay, I gotta stop. I gotta, gotta I have to have a plan, and I'm gonna do it. And Jesus stops because he wants to fellowship with his father. And we know that scripture says that he only did what he saw his father doing. Uh, N.T. Wright says it this way in reference to specifically this text in terms of Matthew. Jesus had a strong, lively sense of the goodness of his father. I'll say that again. Jesus had a strong, lively sense of the goodness of his father. Like what he did is when he pulled away, and when he was walking, and when he was interacting, it was always out of a place, and I love the word that he used, lively sense, living sense, abundant, flourishing sense of the goodness of his father. 
the last thing that I'm thinking about in my worry and anxiety is God's goodness. What am I thinking about? What I'm anxious and worried about? The things that need to be fixed. The concerns that I may have. Instead, not that Jesus, see, I, the interesting thing is that maybe I asked the wrong question. Did Jesus have worry and anxiety? I think the better question is, if he experienced worry and anxiety, what did he do with that? He lived fully into the goodness of his father. Which means, like Tom was joking, like, I'm worried that God's worried about me. Implicitly, that means, do you know the goodness of the father? Do you know the goodness of the father? Do you believe that ultimately, at the end of the day, we sang the song, your grace is enough for me, right? Those were the lyrics. Is, your, is his grace enough for me? I don't know. Do I believe you're that good? I don't know. Maybe I could put my input in here. Just slide it under the table. What do you think, Jesus? Um, so Jesus had a strong lively sense of the goodness of his father. Now I'm going to just go to this text real quick because I think it's important. Because we read it. Um, the, the actual... So in verse 25, it says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. The, the word in Greek, and you can click it one more time for me, Tom. Um, the word in Greek means to be unduly concerned or have anxiety. And I think the key point for me is unduly concerned. I think just walking the journey that we walk in life, we're going to be blindsided and surprised by things and go through things that are unexpected, right? Because we don't have... The, the omnis that Jesus got, and that, well, that God had, just in general. Jesus had it because he looked to his father, right? Um, but he still walked at a daily pace, not focused on tomorrow, but focused on what God was saying, his father was saying for the day. So there's something when it says, therefore I tell you, do not be unduly concerned about your life. I don't think he's saying, don't be concerned at all. I don't think that he's saying that. I'm saying he's, don't become obsessed with it. Consumed with it. Don't let it consume you. That's why I love when I read that, the specifically that verse in Genesis, the sea monsters, right? Like he was so unworried that he made monsters, <laughs> which is like the opposite. We've got like, we don't want monsters, right? But that's how unworried he is. So do not become unduly concerned about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither seek, sow, nor reap, but gather into barns, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What a question. I think that's part of worry and anxiety as we struggle with the concept, God, do you truly value me? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? And why do, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Nor, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Take a moment and feast your eyes upon Christine's lovely flowers from her garden. <laughs> Get out of your way. I mean, have you ever actually looked at flowers. I mean, really looked 
and just stared at them. They're beautiful, aren't they? I mean, utterly beautiful. And God is saying, hey, by the way, you see how beautiful that is? I love you more than that. I need to hear that a lot. <laughs> I want to be able to look at a flower and be like, you love me more than this? That you would clothe me? Because what is, this is after the Genesis 3 verse, what does God do? When they're in sin, what does he do for them? He clothes them. He puts clothes on them. He makes clothes for them. He covers them in their nakedness. Because he sees their worry and anxiety. I, mean, I think there's something that's really um, touching about that, that God would approach us in our vulnerability and nakedness and say, God, I love you so much that I will clothe you. You don't have to worry. There's more that can be said about this. But I, I want to end with maybe kind of a little exercise. Um, so, if you are struggling with worry slash anxiety, could you write down on your bulletins if you had them or you know, something that you could write down? Just write down your top one or two struggles right now that you may be having. This is, this is in the vein of verse 33, which says, But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So it's looking to his kingdom first. You can click it, Tom. I put, I put that question up there. One or two things that you're struggling with. Okay? Everybody have a chance to do that? So then the next question that I want you to consider, you don't have to say this, but looking at the things that you wrote on your piece of paper, uh, here's the next question. What would you say to a best friend that is struggling with what you wrote down? Because we're really good about giving our best friends advice for the very things that we're going through, right? What would, what would you say? Just take a minute and think about that. What would you say to a best friend that is struggling with what you wrote down? Now, I'm going to, again, I want to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Go ahead, Tom. What would Jesus, your BFF, say about it? Best, best friend forever. For real. What would Jesus, what would, and if you were looking at Jesus, you were sitting across the table and he knew what you wrote down, which he does. What would he say to you? Better yet, what is he saying to you right now? See, that's the next step, is allowing him to speak truth into your worry and anxiety right now as a best friend, not as some austere God off in the distance, but a God that came here in flesh who walked through worry and anxiety that can look you in the eye and say, I know what you're going through. And let me tell you about my kingdom in that. What would he say? 
See, I don't want to just provide answers. I want to provide important questions for us to ask ourselves. Uh, I'll, I'll end with this. This is a verse, one of the few verses about worry and anxiety. I put one in your bulletin. Tom, can I borrow your bulletin? I won't look at your one or two. I got all one. <laughs> uh, the first verse that I wanted to just put, because again, we've done this because we went through 1 Peter, but it says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. And then what does it say? Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. This is another verse from Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything. Again, this is not an admonishment. It's an encouragement. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your, your request be made known to God. And the what? Peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? And what? In Christ Jesus. I mean, is, where does your worry and anxiety sit in your body usually? I mean, you feel it here, maybe. Or right here. Right? Depending on the situation. Or right here, or right here. The peace of God. I... I would need, in my worry and anxiety, more of that, that peace that passes understanding. It's that I just don't understand it, but here it is. But he promises us that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you've written down at least one or two things that you're anxious about, that you're worried about, hopefully. Or maybe you didn't have a piece of paper, but they're in your head. Ask. Take some time today. Right? Go at the pace of Jesus, not the frenetic pace of, ours, of our normal day. Go at the pace of Jesus. And what that may mean is that instead of walking, you may need to actually go away and say, God, what do you have to say about this? Um, I'll end with, with this. Uh, I read, I've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia again. And The Prince's Nephew is the book that I started on. And there's this, uh, you've all read Chronicles of Narnia. You're familiar with it. And there's this part where there's this young man who's the nephew of a magician. I think it's the magician's nephew or whatever is actually the name of the book. Anyway, um, his name is Diggory. And his mom's super sick. And Diggory is thinking, if I go to Aslan and talk to him, maybe he can provide me something, a fruit, or a food that I can give to my mom that will heal her. And so he goes, and he, he's going, he's super, I mean, he's just meeting Aslan for the first time, right? And he's super nervous. Because, I mean, this guy is singing, this lion, well, it's a lion, number one, but then he's singing things into creation, <laughs> right? And so he tentatively approaches Aslan, and he has in his mind that he needs to ask him for something for his mother. And I'm going to butcher what C.S. Lewis wrote, but it was to the effect of is that he was like profoundly hearing a, desiring a yes from God, from Aslan, that deep desire, yes, I have something, but desperately afraid that he might also say no. And so he hasn't looked Aslan in the eyes yet. And that's that worry and anxiety, right? 
right? That, I, as soon as I read that, I was like, man, that's wearing anxiety. Super hopeful for the yes, but desperately afraid of the no. And he puts his head up, and he looks the lion in the eyes, and, and C.S. Lewis wrote, and he got a response he didn't expect, because Diggory's crying. And when he locks eyes with Aslan, Aslan's crying too. And I just thought, isn't that God in our worry and anxiety? Because God isn't as concerned with the yes and the no as he is with looking us in the eye and saying, I'm feeling what you're feeling with you. Your, my grace is enough. Can you imagine looking at, I mean, you've been to the zoo, and lions are generally far off, but it's kind of hard to lock eyes with a lion, right? But, but God, in his invitation, right, as ferocious as he could be, as reverent in awe, like we talked about fear, he locks eyes and sheds tears with us. That's a God that's meant to be worshipped. That's a guy that we can look to and say, I'm not worried, do you? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you um, that you would lock eyes with us as a best friend, as a father. In spirit, and in, in, um, mothering, I mean, scripture is replete with examples of this mothering sort of care that you have for us, that you would bring us close to you, to your chest, um, is that you know our worrying anxiety, and rather than admonish us, you just tell us, just so emphatically, don't worry. Like, look around you. Don't worry. I love you. And God, I love that little story that C.S. Lewis writes, where Diggory, for that first time, was fixing his eyes on the kingdom, the king. Um, and I think that we could all confess that we need help and your guidance to look to your kingdom more in our worry and anxiety. Is that rather than allowing ourselves to be consumed by our worry and anxiety, unduly concerned, that we could look to you and that we would be able to be patient instead of trying to make things happen. And that we would find your peace that passes understanding because that's your promise. God, I know um, that you asked of us a lot of questions today. But I don't think that you'll leave us without answers. So show us what your pace looks like today in our lives. And if we get tomorrow, tomorrow, and, uh, maybe we can journey through this worry and anxiety together as a community, um, that we can bring one another alongside of it and support one another and encourage one another, pray for one another. And uh, like we always do in our greeting, that pass the peace um, that we carry. Because maybe the anxiety I'm feeling Somebody in this room has already walked through. They can pass that peace to me through wisdom, through love. So we pray for these things in your name, Jesus, trusting you.